You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 38 Roger, copy that. Living in the Duplicated World. Would you like a duplicate cup of Hockley Valley coffee? <laughs> oh, I think only one is enough, really, because you can't duplicate the quality and the flavor. Only one cup. That's true. So I'll go and get a couple of straws then. Okay, that sounds like a plan. Right. We'll share in that. On with the show. All right. So for centuries, if you weren't going to the trouble of publishing an entire book or copying a single document, it was a slow, arduous process, mostly done by hand, and inventors had sought a device to automate this process with limited success. And one of them, well-known, Thomas Jefferson. Oh, I was going to say, say Johannes Gutenberg in the printing press, but carry on. Uh, yeah, he was in the 1400s. We're talking yeah. Thomas Jefferson with the Declaration of Independence. Oh, okay. So, okay. so anyway, he designed and built this thing called the pantograph. Mm. It was a wooden device connected to his pen, and it was manipulating another pen. So as he wrote, it duplicated on another sheet of paper the mm. precise same movements that he was making, creating a mechanical copy. Okay. The precursor of Xerox in the end. Yeah. So we're talking about duplication, reproduction, if you like, and really kind of what it means in the world, because it, it has meant a lot. The world has changed significantly since Gutenberg and the Gutenberg Press right. made it easier to mass-produce books. Suddenly, the population had its hands on literature that they never would have had before, mm -hmm. on ideas that would be disseminated through books. Um, no longer in the hands of the elite. That's right, which meant a kind of democratization of ideas. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just coming from the top down anymore. The population itself could have its own ideas, i.e. revolution, <laughs> yeah. and take over if it came down to it. Mm -hmm. And so it wouldn't surprise me in the least if revolutions had their basis in the democratization of ideas through mass-producing books, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's major. And nowadays, what we have in the way of duplication is the Internet and people sharing uploads and downloads and middle loads and all those loads. Sharing those things is a form of duplication. Mm -hmm. I mentioned Jefferson. This was, of course, in the 1770s. Yeah. But we need to go up to roughly 1959. So there's this huge space where we've got the printing press. We've got many things that are already operational. But the actual duplication of paper documents, a lot of textual information, yeah. didn't really hit its stride until... 1959, when Xerox invented the photocopier. Yeah, no, that didn't hit the masses until a bit later, because I remember in junior high, which would have been the early 60s, using what was called the Gestetner machine. I remember Gest that. Gestetner machine, mm -hmm. with this foul-smelling blue ink, and you cranked this drum, and the paper went through it, and then came out with this kind of spotty, inconsistent copy yep. of the original. 
I remember that. So the early days of manual reproduction, and then Xerox comes along and makes it easy as pie. What was that called again? The Gestetner machine. Sounds like a psychiatrist. (laughs) Yeah. Herr Gestetner, (laughs) would you repeat that, please? (laughs) Oh, well, I have an idea for repetition. (laughs) Yes. And so Xerox, that's another revolution. In a way, it's another democratizing revolution. Now, just to give you an idea of the scale, okay, up until 1959, in the United States, annually, there was approximately 20 million pieces of whatever form of text was being used at the time, whether it was legal documents, corporate Mm. documents. They were producing about 20 million copies by the method you just described and other methods. Right. Once the Xerox came out, it went from 20 million pieces to 14 billion pieces annually of duplication. So a complete transformation. And included in that, we got all kinds of silly stuff, too, like people's rear ends sitting on top of the glass. (laughs) How many times did you do that? (laughs) Well, I never did, but I I was looking for those types of prints. I think I put my face on it once. (laughs) That's about it. Your face? Yeah. Okay. Some people lost their jobs. But, uh, you know, but interestingly... Also making love on the Xerox machine was fashionable back in those days. There were a few cases of that, at least least attempts. Not not always successful. (laughs) They didn't reproduce it. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't reproduce it. But yeah, so that was a huge step in the duplication process of documents per se. Yeah. But really, when you think about it, how mind-boggling that leap is, you can't even imagine what 14, 15 billion copies of anything Mm -hmm. is. The numbers are too astronomical for us to really get a handle on it being mere mortals. And that's true of anything that has been reproduced since in the way of objects, whether it's ceramic cups by the millions and billions coming out of China and other mm-hmm. places. Mass production. Mass production. Post the Industrial Revolution. Oh, yeah. Using economies of scale to be able to pump these things out into Bring the, the cost world. down. Cost down. So now you can buy a cup for a buck fifty in some dollar store, mm-hmm. whereas once upon a time you'd have to spend some real coin to get a nice, well-made, maybe locally made cup, mm-hmm. which you would care for and treasure way more than you would the $1.50 copy. And what better, more well-known example of duplication was the assembly line for vehicles, Ford yeah. Model T, yeah, which brought cars to the masses. And I think it brought the unions into existence too, mm-hmm. right? Because that was a ready-made environment for abusing workers, and unions sprung up in the face of all that to mm-hmm. kind of keep the balance and keep workers' rights at the forefront. As well, because workers became units, cogs in the machine, ultimately. Yeah. So devaluing human life was a, a real danger there. Well, devaluation is inherent in duplication. Once you begin duplicating things, you reduce the value simply because of the availability of a lot of reproductions. Yes. Know, I.e. paintings. Yep. Jewelry of sorts. Anything that we consider precious. Yeah. Becomes precious only in its rarity. It also sets the tone for a kind of reproducibility in households. So every household has the TV, the RCA. Mm-hmm. Every household has the reproduction of the Mona Lisa or whatever it is mm-hmm. across households that everybody has the same kind of stuff. But once upon a time, you might share that television in the village, for exactly. example. Exactly. Share the television. I remember that as a young boy in Italy. Uh, in order to watch a television program, we all had to convene in a little cafe in a back room. Yeah. 
And this was only in know, the late 50s. I was yeah. not even talking like centuries ago. Sure. And then before that, people would visit each other and sit around and listen to the radio. Mm-hmm. So there'd be social intercourse going on there. And now we get everything off the internet. We can be alone in our room and be mm-hmm. in touch with the world. Everything's at our fingertips. There's no need to do that anymore. And uh, in a way, we are post-TV now, post-television. Oh, yeah. The other consequence of reproduction of objects has been landfills growing, growing, growing all As around the world. As a result of all this duplication. And no place to put stuff and yeah. transporting stuff from Toronto to Michigan and back, yeah. you know, all these... Yeah. Yeah. Largely because of this incessant duplication, which has created a lot of waste. Totally. We have not only excessive amounts of stuff, as you referred to earlier, yeah, but we're also devaluing things at the same time. And not only in terms of material devaluation, but in personal devaluation, we no longer have the same respect for things because we can replace them easily and quickly. So Mm -hmm. instead of hanging on to that ceramic cup that you just wash and reuse, you don't think twice about throwing out a cup that's in your hand when you could just as easily have hung onto it for another hour or two for your next cup of coffee. Yeah, or if it gets chipped, we toss it out rather right. than getting the crazy glue out and repairing repair. it, which yeah. my wife does all the time. Mm-hmm. But it also transfers to the relationship that we have with other people. I people, believe so, yeah. People can be treated as objects too, and corporations can treat people as units. Replaceable cre- units. Replaceable units, really. Consumer units, right? We have another duplicate member of the human race that can take your spot. Exactly. And it comes down to jobs. If you quit your job, there's always somebody also who want that job. So they don't need me, particularly. Always somebody else will jump in mm-hmm. to take my place. So I'm interchangeable in that respect for many employers. Now, there are a lot of employers who are enlightened and don't treat their people like that. But many do, too. So, but then that's a consequence of the age of reproduction, of duplicate everything. Yes, but I think there is kind of a reaction. And if you, if you look carefully at the new generation, the so-called millennials, you see that they've shifted their way of doing things. We were, our generation, the boomers, very materialistically inclined. Yeah. They're moving away from that model. They're going to borrowing things instead of buying and keeping things. Everything is more temporary. Well, with the exception of their smartphone, let's say, which they will buy and keep buying the better and better version of so they can Mm -hmm. stay on top of things. But you're right. uh, Beyond that, they'll rip the CD onto their computer rather than buying it, Mm -hmm. Uh, go to BitTorrent sites to watch movies, uh, rent spaces rather than buying houses, which are getting too expensive to buy anyway. Spend right? more money on experiences. So, uh, yeah, more experiential mm-hmm. uh, purchases rather than things, which is a good thing in a way. They're delaying what we would have considered delayed gratification. Right. On the other hand, they're consuming a lot more shared ideas on the internet, which are like reproductions in their own way. They're consuming more duplications. Duplications in the form of ideas now. So it's Mm -hmm. more internal rather than objects. And that's a question as to how uh, healthy that is to the human mind to be gobbling up memes every day. You want to actually make a, a point about distinguishing simulations from reproductions. Well, yeah, reproduction is an actual copy of something, whereas a simulation, you're really copying a process. So, for example, a pilot's in a simulator, he's 
looking at the entire flight and the entire navigation of an actual plane, but not in a real situation, in a simulated situation, so that he can actually adjust right. his particular behaviors or what he will do under certain circumstances in the safety sure. of, of a, a simulated situation, right. which right. duplicates or tries to duplicate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the actual environment or elements that he would encounter in a real situation. In an airplane, right. for example, or a mm-hmm. rocket ship or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So simulation is more of a systemic process. Yeah. Do and they can be very useful. Obviously, they are very useful in mm-hmm. training people like that. Well, they can be useful in other situations too, not just in in situations where there's danger. They could be also in systems where you're trying to design something. I.e., a wind tunnel. Mm-hmm. You simulate conditions right. before you actually build something. Right. So, for prediction, you know, prediction. weather prediction, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Anticipation. Well. And, it's, and it's used also in sports yes. psychology. And you're simulating in your mind, if you like, the race or the hockey game or whatever that you're going to go into. Mm-hmm. And it's used a lot where athletes will do these meditations and uh, imaginations. Yeah, most people would understand that as a visualization, Yeah, which is a form yes. of simulation. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's good to it too, as well as bad, I think. We're counting on this podcast to be duplicated in a sense as people download yes. this podcast. So... Uh, Without that duplication, we wouldn't have anywhere near the reach. Right. If one person only could get to us, that's Mm. lovely, but we want, obviously, a a Mm. larger uh, audience. So, like everything else, it comes down to not the thing itself, but how you approach the thing and how you use the thing and and how you incorporate the thing. Now, that's five times you've used the word thing in a row. You've duplicated the word thing. I've duplicated in multiples. (laughs) Ad nauseum, Ad as nauseum. they say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Multiply this. <laughs> Do you see this? Jimmy two times. Hey, Jimmy two times. Is it, is it Jimmy two Jimmy, times? Jimmy, it's Jimmy. Or I Tony thought it was two. Tony. It's Jimmy, apparently. Oh, it's Jimmy two it's times. Jimmy two times, yeah. Speaking yeah. of which, yeah. well, now that you mentioned it, why don't we uh, lay that in there for uh, our Voxbox Box segment? Yeah, let's give him a little Jimmy two times. A little Jimmy two times. Okay, yeah, go for it. Just for a couple laps. Good fellas? Good fellas. Good fellas. That's right. Box, box. So, what's your story? There was Jimmy and Tommy and me, and there was Anthony Stabile. How you doing? Frankie Carbone. And then there was Mo Black's brother, Fat Andy. And his guys, Frankie the Wop. Freddie No Nose. And then there was Pete the Killer, who was Sally Balls' brother. And you had Nicky Eyes. What's up, guy? And Mikey Franchese. And Jimmy Two Times, who got that nickname because he said everything twice, like. I'm gonna go get the papers, get the papers. Box, box. Artists are relying on that sense of you wanting to reproduce the pleasure right. that you get from their music, from their art, mm-hmm. and wanting to come back to it over and over again. So that duplication of experience people rely upon. Which tends to be a human 
quality because nature per se doesn't really duplicate. No, no, it doesn't. Right? Not really. I mean, they say there's no two snowflakes that are alike. Exactly. Yeah, no two flowers really are alike. They may look similar, but there's differences, right? Mm. But then you can take that into human relationships. A marriage, for example, which should naturally evolve, can get stagnant when both parties expect the other party to kind of be the same or similar or fall into habits with each other. Routine. Duplicating the day's routines every day. And marriages can break up because one or the other of the parties get tired of the duplication of the reproduction of, mm-hmm. of this relationship day to day to day and no sense of forward movement or change or something new. Right. So, And yet so many of us are routinized. Oh, yeah. Your daily habits, the way you wake up in the morning, what you do at what time, what cup you use. Sure. And animals have certain routines too often. Mm-hmm. Typically more when they're domestic animals, I would say. Domestic, because in nature, their routines are based on natural cycles. That's right. And if something interferes with that cycle, a danger of some kind, they will respond to it immediately and forget Mm -hmm. about routine. Mm -hmm. Whereas we tend to be really connected to our routines and obsessed with our habits to the point where we forget that something big is going on outside because Mm -hmm. we're caught up in our little And if you're too rigid with routine, it also makes you inflexible, I think, unless you're the type that if your routine gets challenged for some reason, if you're able to go with the flow, it's okay. But if you're one of those people that has such a routine that any deviation gets you in a twist or gets you really anxious, then I don't see the benefit. Well, that's the thing is we are so uh, caught up in the pleasure principle Mm -hmm. that when we have an experience where we derive pleasure We want to reproduce that experience. Mm -hmm. We go back to the movie that made us smile and laugh four times. We see the movie four times. We listen to the record over and over again because it keeps giving us that dopamine hit of pleasure. Quite different from the animal kingdom in that way. The animal doesn't keep going back to that experience, trying to reproduce it just to get that pleasurable They move move with the cycle. They They just go on from one thing to the next. Yeah, right. Whereas we're not like that. So we naturally try to duplicate things to keep our dopamine levels high. We live like in a contained world within the world. Hmm, That's profound. What do you mean by that? We create our own sort of little circle. Oh, I see. And we try to stay in the bounds, you know, try to make all the comforts and all the pleasures Uh uh, very predictable. The human bubble. Yeah, sort of. I mean, I know that's very cliche, but... Well, that's the protective thing that we have, right? Like you said, you're trying to duplicate yeah. that pleasure syndrome right? rather than accepting that it may alter the next time. It may not mm-hmm. be exactly the same, but you're insistent on making sure it's the same. Right. That right. ice cream has to be exactly the way you tasted it last yeah, time. Or that steak that you got in the restaurant mm-hmm. last week has to taste like the same steak you get this week. Mm-hmm. Or you get disturbed and you think, oh, this yeah. restaurant is inconsistent. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and that to me is the problem. It's yeah. not so much that you don't like it or that say, well, I, I wish it wasn't like this. But the fact that you become disturbed mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. That, to me, is an issue. Sure it is. And then from the point of view of the arts, from the point of view, say, of writer, of writing, uh, you've got various genres of writing that people have created, categories that you slot certain books into, whether it's Mm. a murder mystery or romance novel, children's literature, whatever it is. Now you get writers writing to those genres, trying to fit into those categories because that's what sells 
Mm-hmm. And the population needs to be given clear categories to buy from. Otherwise, they won't know what they're buying. So the powers that be have to tell you what this book is. This mm-hmm. is a romance in order for you to know enough to want to buy it. So to me, that's a problem. And you get stuck in these grooves. And the idea of art is to change and grow and evolve. But it's very hard to do that when you can't be recognized for your work unless it's plugged into these categories. Although Uh, a lot of people still will go against that stream. And make no money. And make no money. And sometimes, (laughs) on rare occasions, a lot of money because they dared yeah, very rare. To change. It's very rare. No. No. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so that's a dilemma for the artist. artistic community is this whole reproducing of categories of what is good, what isn't good, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Mass appeal versus quality of the specific yeah, item that you're producing. Sure. I mean, what makes the Mona Lisa a brilliant work of art, a great work of art, it's not that it has been reproduced more than maybe any other Mm -hmm. image on the planet, but it in and of itself, in its originality, in its what it is beyond the pre the reproductions is this work of art that people have recognized through the centuries as being a a masterpiece. Uniqueness. Unique, Da Vinci's masterpiece. So it can be reproduced forever, but those reproductions don't speak to its quality. It itself speaks to its quality when you get up close to it. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. We've lost in many ways the connection to the original. Yes. We only have connections to simulated reproductions. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.